channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy sponsored by SAGE. Supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And on today's show, we will explore why there is no such thing as a commodity. So Ron, how much will you pay for eight ounces of water? more than gasoline (laughs) especially at these prices today crazy i know gasoline is so much cheaper now i love it yeah it's come down by what 50 percent yes it has i I think much to the dismay of environmentalists yes and 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 people in the energy industry (laughs) exactly well (laughs) and there's a great example right off the bat there gasoline is in fact a commodity is it not yes but why then do people like, you know, Texaco and all of these gas stations add like Teflon or Tecron or whatever the heck it is to their why, – why are they doing that? Yeah, no, because there is some pricing premium even in this quote-unquote commodity business of selling gas, right? Because you've got – first off, they give you three choices, right? Regular, supreme, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, and look at the price difference there. Um, and and there's there's incredible – variation even in the same town among gas prices yeah it happens in my town all the time you know just right right across the street from one another sometimes even five ten cents a gallon depending and you know of course we go to the kroger because we also have fuel points you know they differentiate their gasoline based on the fact that i buy my groceries there so they'll take 10 cents off of it Absolutely. Yep. And and you can see some wild variations with different days of the week. And like you say, even across the street from one another. And, and part of it is traffic patterns. And there's a whole bunch of things that go into it that, that's really interesting. And I guess that's what makes this this particular topic kind of a soapbox opera or soapbox topic of mine. I mean, I'm, I'm so sick Ed, of this word commodity, because how many times have you heard every business person say this it, it makes me crazy i mean whenever i do a presentation and somebody brings out what well, brings up the term commodity i have this little uh, app on my phone that i turn on and it's a lights it makes a lightsaber sound <laughs> and i and i go be prepared to be slashed i'm about to take you i'm about to take that on uh, <laughs> yeah no it's so true i mean i remember uh, our colleague dan morris our verisage colleague uh, he was at a, a funeral parlor conference, 
And he heard this over the two days that he was speaking at this conference that, oh, funerals are becoming a commodity and, you know, you can buy a casket at Costco for 400 bucks and you can get cremated at the Neptune Society for 600 bucks and, you know, we can't compete anymore. It's just becoming a race to the bottom. And um, his response to that was really interesting, which I think we'll save for a little bit later on in the show. But you, you, you hear this all over the place and, and around the world, too. Yes, it absolutely is around the world. No matter where we we talk, we'll hear this. And most especially, of course, because both of us work so often with professional firms, it's even professional services organizations bring bring this up. And and, and that's one that just confounds me. It confounds Tom Peters, too. He he writes about this in several of his books. It makes him crazy, too. So we're not we're not alone. No, not at all. In fact, anytime I hear somebody uh, say that I'm a commodity, I bring up. One of the stories that Tom Peters did write uh, about, which is a, a taxi cab driver, and of course this was way before Uber. This was in the early '80s. But there's this there was this taxi cab driver in New York City, and you figure, well, geez, in New York, you know, what, what what's more of a commodity than a yellow cab, right? I mean, they're all over the place. And yet, when you got into this particular gentleman's cab, his name was Walter, he handed you a card. And the card said, hello, my name's Walter. I'll be your driver today, and I'll get you to your location you know, um, on time and, and safely. And, and you're sitting there thinking, wow, a mission statement from a cab driver. And, and then he handed you a fruit basket with, with fruits, apples and bananas and candy. And he said, I have three newspapers up here if you're interested. You know, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today and New York Times. And, and he'd, uh, he'd say, I, I have these various radio stations. Are you in the mood for classical, country, rock? And he also had a car phone. And, of course, this is in the days, right, when the car phone was in the trunk, basically, the, the unit, and it was right, really sure. expensive. And, and I'm thinking, here's a cab driver who has established a rapport with a complete stranger in a matter of a minute or so. And Harvey McKay actually wrote about this in one of his books, too, where he started talking to this driver, Walter, and he said, do you mind, how, how much do you make in tips? And, and this was like 1982. He said something like 20 grand a year. But he said something even more interesting. He said, and I have about a 75 repeat customer base. Now, Ed, I know you travel a lot. You've probably been in a lot of cabs. When was the last time you actually called a particular cab driver back? Yeah, not a not a cab driver. I mean, maybe a limo service. In fact, I will will try to post a video of this. But my my cousin had an experience. He lives down in New Orleans, and you know, this is just this, a new a new uh, example of the same thing. This this limo driver has a full blown karaoke machine in his in in the back seat. So when you get in, he asks <laughs> if you want a karaoke, and oh <laughs> what oh, what geez. song do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> I hope he's wearing earplugs for yeah. this. <laughs> I bet. But you know, the point of these both of these stories is is, is the fact that if, if someone can differentiate a cab ride and you know Uber's gone on to, to, to do this with their car it's not really a car service, it's a software company, but they they differentiate it as well. Why? Why do professionals and why do other businesses forget professionals? All businesses suffer from this mindset of, well, what we do is a commodity. It's it's a great question, and it and it, it boggles me to no end. Um, I guess I'm really I was really taken by the former Procter and Gamble 
global marketing officer, a guy named Jim Stengel. I think he's went on now. He's a consultant. But when he was with P&G, I was at a conference and he said, I hate it when someone says they're in a commodity category. We don't accept there are any commodity categories. We are growing Charmin and Bounty very well. And he says, we've, de- we've uh, developed tremendous equities, uh, which is Procter & Gamble speak for billion-dollar brands. And <laughs> Mere billion-dollar brands. <laughs> yeah, he said, so no, I think that's a cop-out. That's bad marketing and an excuse. We are not in a commodity category. And as we said, I think we said this in the Business Myth show, Ed, but you know, if, they can, if Procter & Gamble can differentiate toilet paper, then how could a professional firm or indeed any other type of business not differentiate what they do? If we're not even out there buying the cheapest toilet paper, then th- this whole commoditization argument is, is just a really – it's a bad excuse for poor marketing. It is. And it's also a misunderstanding of really the, the technical economic term for a, what a commodity is, right? And I think, you know, that, that, I think that's the place to start. As, as uh, Plato, I think, said, wisdom begins with the definition of terms – Right. And and if we really understand what the definition of a commodity is, I think people would stop using it because what they really mean when they say that, I think, is that many of the people in my market space are buying exclusively on price. Right. Yep. So what is the technical definition of, of a commodity? I know you always say this when you talk about this topic. Well, you know, there's there's different things. It's actually more like characteristics of what it is and isn't a commodity that is uh, is really the case. And one of the things that I think is important. Well, here let me give. I'll give the technical definition. Right, is a marketable item produced to satisfy a want or a need. And it does say that economic commodities comprise of good and services, which I, I have a problem with. Right. But the exact definition is specifically a class of goods for which there is a demand but which is supplied without qualitative differential across a market. And I, you know, I think if you just look at that piece of the definition, it's clear that any professional firm does not qualify as a commodity, right? With any, without qualitative differenti- differentiation across a market. And I'm sorry, but a tax return is not a tax return. An audit is not an audit. No, you're right. I mean, let, let just go back to the gas example with your idea of Texaco putting Teflon and Shell putting in, you know, whatever they call their thing. I mean, they're trying to differentiate based on branding, maybe based on location, maybe the convenience store that's attached, you know, to the to the station. There's all these other value-added factors that they're trying to differentiate on. So, it it gives them more pr- uh, pricing power than just having that standard category. And and that's what marketing is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think the the other piece of it, from a commodity standpoint, there the, another characteristic is that future price is taken into account when the when a price is set. So the you know the good example we would just go back to gasoline. You know, wh- why why does gasoline fluctuate so, more more likely up than down? But but I guess we're seeing it fall fall now to a certain extent too. How is it possible that gasoline prices fall? You know, ten fifteen cents a gallon. Uh, they probably paid more than that for the gas that's underneath their their service station, right? Yeah. But it's because the future price is taken into account when they have to set price. And that, that is one of the things that a, a commodity also does. 
Right. And, and like you say, this is a more of a list of characteristics. And I think, uh, this word is, has been so distorted because now everybody says, Oh, we're, you know, we're a commodity, we're a commodity. And I, I learned something from just working with actuaries that absolutely I, I had never thought of it this way before. But an actuary looked at me and he said, if what you're selling product or service involves any element of risk, he said, then by definition, it is no longer a commodity. And I thought, wow, what an interesting way to think about it. You know, because like you say with the audit or the tax return, those are things that entail risk. So does converting a, a company to a CRM system or changing their accounting software. Certainly a lawyer uh, services entails risk. Then by definition, it's not a commodity. I guess we could ask Arthur Anderson if an audit, you know, has it has a risk component. <laughs> and and just along those notes, because we are talking about professional firms, and I and I I do admit I I, I love what Tom Peters wrote about this in his book. I think it's it's uh, the Circle of Innovation, and you know how he writes in capitals every now and then and puts exclamation points to to really emphasize something. But he says the delivery of a professional service is absolutely positively nothing more than the delivery of you or me. So he says, you know, if, if the person you see in the mirror in the morning is a commodity, that means you're a commodity and he just doesn't buy it. And, and I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, I, you, you brought it up, but the whole toilet paper thing is one of the best ways to drive that home and just ask the simple question, you know, do you think what you do is, is more or less a commodity than toilet paper. And then if you, well, no, we're clearly not. Well, then why, if you, if you don't buy the cheapest toilet paper, why, why wouldn't, why would your customers not buy the cheapest, whatever it is that you have to offer then? You know, what does differentiate you? And it gets into a really good conversation about this concept of uh, differentiation, which, which is something that, that fascinates both of us. I mean, uh, as, as it came to me a couple of years ago, it, it was one of these BFOs, right? Blinding flash of the obvious. You know, dif- differentiation means doing things differently. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, duh, really, Ed, you're such a genius. But, but it, it's funny because pe- but people don't fully understand that because I have had arguments with folks in sessions that I've done where they, where I will give them and say, okay, here's something that you could do that di- would differentiate you. And they will say to me without any sense of irony or, but my competition doesn't do that. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I know. I know. That's the whole point. <laughs> That's the whole point of being different and differentiation. Your competition doesn't do that. Well, then why should I? Well, then why are you asking about differentiation? <laughs> Well, and I, I want to bring up one more point that I learned from the actuaries, and we'll do this after we take this break, uh, because they taught me something else that I had have just, it's, it's really uh, had a dramatic impact on me as well. But folks, in the meantime, you can contact Ed or myself at TSOE at Verisage.com. Send an email, and we'll certainly get your email and uh, take a look at it. And also, you can follow us uh, live on the show at hashtag AskTSOE at Twitter. And you can find our show notes at Verisage.com slash TSOE, where we post full show notes and the books we cite and other interesting material. In the meantime, we want to take this break and hear from our sponsor, Leading Results.
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. If you are a woman who is in a transitionary state of your life, such as a divorce, marriage, upcoming retirement, changing jobs, or even careers, there are usually many financial decisions that you may be faced with. On Women Be Wise, host Darlene Gilmore can help with some important advice on a variety of subjects for women in almost any state of their financial lives. You'll want to listen every Thursday morning for Women Be Wise at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. And we've been talking about how there's no such thing as a commodity. And one of the things that we've been talking about in the context of professional firms um, is that if whatever you sell involves risk, and certainly professional firms fit that category, but so do a lot of other products and services, then actuaries say by definition it's not a commodity if it involves risk. And the other thing they taught me, Ed, and this is especially true in the circles we run in with professional firms, is if what you sell does involve risk, there is no actuarial model for pricing risk by the hour. Hmm. Hence, another problem with the billable hour is you can't price risk with the billable hour. Now, yep. you know, accountants say, well, you can, you can load that into your cost of E&O insurance, but, but you, can't, you can't work it out by the hour because the hour doesn't have anything to say about the risk. It's sure. not a theory about risk. And wow, that was an incredible insight to me because, you know, as I, as I listen to lawyers or accountants or a whole bunch of other professional firms talk about how they can't price jobs that they don't know about, I'm thinking, well, how do actuaries price my earthquake insurance? They, mm-hmm. they certainly don't know when the next earthquake is going to strike, how big it's going to be, what their costs are going to be that they're going to have to pay out. And yet they give me a fixed premium. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? Well, yeah, it's called pricing risk. And, and you can do that, but you can't do it by the hour. What, what's their line about that? There's no such thing as a bad risk, only a bad premium. <laughs> yeah, no such thing as a bad risk, only bad premiums. So, 
<laughs> that is that is so true. That's a great line. It's a yeah. it's a good rule of thumb to to keep in mind. Uh, uh, these these from the people who insured J Lo's butt. So you know you got to keep that in mind. So. Yes, I actually talked to the uh, one of the actuaries whose company did that, and I asked him. <laughs> I said, um, how, "How do you go about doing that?" And and of course, it's more like a performance bond, right? They're they're insuring her for a specific movie or something like that. Right. But he did lick his finger and stick it in the air. And he said, "Look," he said, "It's a conjecture." Mm-hmm. We don't know because we don't have a lot of historical data on this. We have some, but we we have to just do our best based on our modeling. Uh, mm-hmm. So really fascinating stuff. But when when you start looking around, I guess this is like that red Volkswagen syndrome that we've talked about before. You know, our late colleague Paul O'Byrne talked about he never noticed this red Volkswagen before until his wife bought one. When you start looking at for things that are differentiated based upon marketing, branding, or other types of factors, you see this all over, don't you? I mean, there's example after example. Yeah, and uh, you've dealt with a lot of these in, in your book, Pricing on Purpose. Just a quick plug for you there, which is which is a great book. But uh, the you know so, some of the, the, the examples, once you do see them, like you said, candles. Like, okay, here's like an industry that's been dying for <laughs> hundreds of years. It's been around yet, a while. Yeah, it's been around a while, but but yet, you know, y- Yankee Candle now and, and all of these other places have get now a premium for what was a dying product. Yeah, I remember studying this for the book, Blythe Industries, which is a, a enormous candle maker. I don't know, they had like 500 million in sales or something back in the, in the nineties. And they've actually turned, made candles for specific events. You know, a bar mitzvah, a birthday, religious ceremonies, a baptism. And I thought, geez, that, you know, that, now that's what marketing is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's that created added value without changing the product in the slightest. You know, the, the famous Shreddies example that Rory Sutherland brought up in his, his famous TED talk on this subject, that you, could, you can actually create value through marketing without changing the product. Right, right, where they take the square shreddy, sh- Shreddies and, oh, the new diamond shape. and. <laughs> 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 yep. That's a, it's a great, uh, great video clip he shows of that and some of the commercials they ran. The other one that I really enjoy talking about, too, uh, and I think I did this, this, pres- this very presentation at my first talk for Professional Pricing Society because you even hear this word commodity a lot in, in that venue. And, and these are pricers. They're supposed to you know, take into account differentiation. But I talked about lettuce and i thought you know could you think of a more boring product than lettuce i mean it's not even a mature industry for a while it was in decline and a group of uh central california lettuce growers got together and said look if we don't do something we're we're, you know we're on the way out here and they came up with this idea to like bottled water to make it more convenient so we'll cut it up we'll put it in in packages and uh you know We'll put, throw some salad dressing on the side and, and sell convenience of a, of a quick salad for lunch or whatever. And they actually turned lettuce into this, you know, $1.4 billion industry of prepackaged lettuce. Now, if they can differentiate lettuce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And look, and, and let, let's talk about another one that, that is similar in, in that, and that is this whole, the whole organic movement, right? I, I, I personally think that, that, that organics, I, I Maybe I just don't have a developed palate, Ron, but I can't tell the difference. No, like the, like the eggs and things like mm-hmm. that. 
Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly can't. And, and, you know, look, hey, look, if you're, you're doing it for health reasons and all of this stuff, great. But uh, certainly from a taste perspective, not not this person can, can, can judge it, but right. in a way, good, right? Because isn't isn't this uh, a way that the, the that the the market you know market tested innovation and supply um, uh, allows different products to to be in place, and people with who are more wealthy who want to purchase these organic products will pay two, three, four dollars more for lettuce or milk or eggs than but but the the folks who can't afford it or don't want to are, are perfectly safe buying these other products as well. Exactly. Or the fair trade, uh, you know, uh, items that you see in a Starbucks or something like that, fair trade water and coffee and things like that. People will pay a premium for that for whatever reason. I mean, I think it goes back to our first law of marketing show that all value is subjective. Right. And if that's mm-hmm. part of your value, then, OK, yeah, you're going to support it and, and pay more for it, whether that's buy local or, you know, whatever the trend may be. Well, isn't this like what, what our, our friend Joe Pine t- talks about in the experience economy, too, is, is that, you know, Starbucks d- didn't go to create a brand. They went to create a great company and they, they created that company not based on the product of coffee, but on the experience of buying coffee. Right. I mean, he wanted to, Howard Schultz, the founder, he wanted to create that third place, right? That that safe refuge where you could go between your work and your home and enjoy a cup of coffee and maybe read a book or whatever, have a meeting. And, um, you know, I think Starbucks lost that for a while. And when they brought him back, they, they rediscovered that, yeah, this was all about a third place. It wasn't about selling breakfast items and all this other stuff. It was to create a a haven for people to come to. You know, and to that end, I want to just tell this, this is an observation of mine. I don't, I don't recall ever reading this anywhere, but when Starbucks did have its little decline, when Howard Schultz went away for a while and then came back, one of the things that I noticed about the experience was, and I, I don't know if some efficiency expert told him this, but for a while, instead of calling out, you know, I've got a no foam latte for Ed, um, they would just call out the the drink name right no foam latte and it, yep. and they didn't they didn't have my name they didn't they didn't take down my name uh and i think that that diminished the experience a little bit you know that that you were you were just being called out as a drink order and not the personalization of no foam latte for ed for Ed, you know you, that's a great point, Ed, and I and I uh, you just made me think of this. I didn't look this up, but in Howard Schultz's second book, I think his first book was Pour Your Heart Into It, which was the founding story. But his second book, and I forget the title, and we'll get this up on the show notes. But in his second book, he does talk about um, why he he was brought back into Starbucks to revamp it, and it was precisely those types of things. They've lost that personal touch. They did bring in Six Sigma and Lean Consultants. Did they, they really? Changed, I- they did. <laughs> They did. He talks about this in his book. They changed the height of the counter so the baristas would have less movement. They measured movement of baristas and things like that. And it was just all part of this. It, it just, you know, like we say over and over, the more internally focused you become, the less focused you are on the customer and you diminish the value. And in some cases, I think in, in this one, it created negative value for Starbucks. And he talks about the, one of the first things he did was get rid of that. He said, you know, I was always skeptical and didn't want it to come in. But they brought him in and, and he said it created all sorts of problems. 
Yeah, it, it, well, I, I certainly noticed it, and it, it made it, it makes a difference for me. I mean, maybe I'm just the outlier who who notices these these things, but I, I noticed that I was drinking not a name. Right, right, and you know, and then you think you, you read things from the World Bank that says you know one half the world's population lives on less than two bucks a day, and you look at something like Three Dog Bakery, you know, that sells cakes and pastries for your dog <laughs> <laughs> at an average price of I don't know something like sixteen or twenty bucks. And uh, I remember looking at there's one of these in Seattle, and I actually walked in just to look around. I thought, wow, this is wild. Our pets maybe are eating better than half the world's population. <laughs> yeah, that, it, which is a sad thing to think about. But, but at the same time, yet, yet again, it, that, that, that's creating jobs for, for folks and it, it's and people want to do that. I, I often have thought, you know, maybe maybe in my next life come back as some of my friend's dogs because they are treated pretty well, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> So, but you know, there, there there's there are tons of examples, and we'll take take uh, our our listeners through a, a couple of more more of these as we progress through the show. But uh, well, I think it would be appropriate for us to take a break at this point, Ron, and we're gonna we'll talk more about these different commodities and examples of how to differentiate. When we'll get into that when we we come back. Uh, as always, though, you can get a hold of us at tsoe at verisage dot com during the show. You can. Use hashtag AskTSOE to ask us questions, and we'll take a look and see if there's anything out there. But in the meantime, we want you to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. What if you could close more business with less effort? and do it faster. What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth. And in general, people don't want to discuss their money. Until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Calagiri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. We're talking today about there's no such thing as a commodity, and we've given lots of examples, and we've got more to come on this. It's a, such a fascinating topic on this. And one of the, the ones that, that 
comes to mind and then it's, it's very near and dear to my heart since I have a six-year-old daughter right now. Fortunately, I also have a six-year-old daughter who has a grandmother uh, who likes to spend her money on these things. But And that is the American Girl story, uh, which which really was the answer to this question, Ron, wasn't it? How, how does one compete with Barbie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what a challenge that would be, right? Uh I remember researching this because the woman who founded the American Girls Collection, Pleasant Roland was her name. She was a elementary school teacher, I believe, and she taught history and she took a trip to Colonial Williamsburg and she was inspired and she thought that the public schools did a kind of a, a rotten job teaching history. And she wanted to make it really inspiring for kids. So she created this whole American girl experience, which, Ed, I know you know because your daughter owns them. I mean, it's a lot more than just a doll, isn't it? Oh, it, it is. Well, this it's, first of all, stories about the dolls. And I think there's one for just about every every 10 years of uh, of the American experience going back to the late 1700s, but uh, one of the, the the more interesting things, Ron, and I'm I'm not sure if you're aware of this because this is a, a recent development, is they've actually begun to retire dolls. Ah, okay. So one of the originals, which I think my my youngest sister uh, had, was this Molly doll, and Molly's now been retired. <laughs> She's wow. she's from like 1920 something, and of course, what this has done, of, of course, is jacked up the the, the price of of the secondary market. It's for become these a dolls. collectible. It's yeah, become right. a collectible. Yeah, you, you know that reminds me. Just parenthetically on this, you know, how do you compete with Band Aid? Right? I mean, Band Aid's become a noun, but it's actually a brand. Well, Curad said, well, let's put cartoon characters. On the band-aids. And of course, this, you know, the kids love this, and those actually became collector items. Yep. So, one of the questions to differentiate your product is how can you create a collector item? Mm-hmm. How, and how, how, how does that morph into it? And, and look, look, it took, well, and I think it was the Pleasant Company originally, then bought by Mattel for what? A, near a billion dollars, 700 million, something like that? Yes. Yeah. And, and Ed, that scared me because I thought they would destroy the brand. But as far as I can tell, they haven't. They've kept it intact. They have, and and they've done some really fascinating things with it. I, I had this crazy idea, Ron, for a business that uh, I, I think now might be the time to launch it, and I'm going to ca- call it American Girl Doll University. <laughs> so basically what you do is you send me your American Girl Doll, right, and I will put it through four years of, of curriculum. Um, you know, and, I, and we'll we'll send you pictures every so often of you know maybe the doll on spring break, uh, <laughs> doing crazy things in Fort Lauderdale, right? <laughs> Hair messed up, crazy, and then yep, yep. we'll send it back to you after four years with a cap and gown and a degree. Um, and I, you know, I think you know I'll be reasonable rather than two hundred thousand dollars or something for the degree. I'll, you know, just I'll just, I'll charge you know two or three thousand dollars for yeah. this. This and this this will be the way that that I'm going to make my millions. So. Well, Ed, your wife, Christine, took me to, to American Girl because I kind of bugged her. Because I've been reading about it and studying about it, writing about it. I said, we were in Chicago, I think, doing a SAGE program. And, and she took me. And I remember standing in front of the beauty parlor watching oh, right. the, the technician <laughs> do this little doll's hair. And the girl, the, the, the owner of the doll, the little girl, is just staring up in just complete admiration. And the mom's all into it. And the dad's standing. I got a picture of this. The dad's standing there with his arms folded. And he's going, he's probably saying to himself, I can't believe I'm spending 30 bucks on this. 
but I took a picture of the price list, and my dad's a barber. These prices were more than a lot of shops that cut humans' hair. And that whole store, which I guess is on uh, Michigan Avenue in Chicago, and I guess it attracts over a million people a year. And they've got a hospital in there for when your doll's broke, and when it comes out, it's got the little armband, it's got a balloon, get well soon, all that. And I know they have a cafe because our colleague Dan Morris took his daughter there, and he said, you know, that's expensive. It is, and I've I've been to the one in Chicago for that meal. And by the way, there are now others throughout the country. I think there's there's New York. There's one here in Dallas now as well. So they have they have diluted it a little bit. You know, there's Chicago used to be the one and only place, but we did go to the 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 lunch there, and of course they have little chairs that you clip your doll on to sit next to you. So. <laughs> right, um, and the doll, of course, gets served tea and all this stuff. But I have to say this: the food was not bad, and I, and I, I remember thinking, you know, they they could just be sh- shovel stuff at us here that is you know low grade but edible according to the FDA, and we would pretty much have to take it because it's about this whole experience. But uh, kudos to them, or at least this was this was now back in the day to, th- that uh, they didn't do that. You know, so they, they, they did make an, an experience and, and they kept the food decent as well. So, Right. And of course, this goes along with Joseph Pine's uh, theory, too, about the experience economy and creating a memorable experience is, a, is an incredible, incredible way to differentiate. And that's why he calls our economy the experience economy. And there's a Harvard Business School professor, a guy named Bob Hayes, who said 15 years ago, companies competed on price. Now it's on quality, so tomorrow it's going to be design. And the thing that I, I, I think about on, on design is I look at newspapers. And, and you know we know newspapers are dying around the country, right, for a whole host of reasons. Craigslist, yep. part of it, and all of that. But I, you know, I never like the size of newspapers. They're very inconvenient things to read. And the question is, why are they as big as they are? I mean, if you look at magazines, and it actually goes back to the days during uh, – uh, Europe, the opposition press was taxed because, uh, the, you know, the government didn't like the opposition press. And so they put a tax on e- every page of the newspapers. So what did the newspapers do? They made their pages bigger. <laughs> the broadsides, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's why we have these big, clumsy newspapers. And if you just look at how many products are ripe for a design informa- uh, uh, renovation, like look at a paint can. What what a clumsy thing to do, mm-hmm. right? Open a paint can, carry it around. I mean, isn't there a better way to design these things? And I think we are starting to see a lot more attention paid to the design of both products and services, which I think is a wonderful thing. Totally agree. I, you know, I guess Dyson vacuum would be the, the example that comes to my mind right away. Uh, I, I don't know if they're that much better, but uh, I don't have one, but people swear by them. But it was clearly the design, you know, the the, the ball that they have on the bottom that yep. makes that work. You know, it, interestingly though, I mean, here here's like the 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 coda to that story. We've got a, a vacuum place here in in Texas, and it's uh it's owned by this guy. His last name is Black. I think it's Vic 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 Black or or Richard Black. Uh, and it, it he, this guy loves vacuums i want to tell you that this guy loves the vacuum you walk into his store and it by the way if he doesn't greet you 
coming out of the store when you pull up in front of it. Because if you're there like on a weekday and it's not busy, if you park in front of his shop, he'll come running out to your car. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> and, you know, I think Christine went there to, to, to buy a vacuum cleaner because our, ours had failed, the one that we had for, for 10 years or whatever. And, you know, we, she had one thing in mind came, and came out with t- two vacuums. She actually ended up buying two um, because he went through the whole, uh, the whole rationale on why you need an upright and why why you need the, the the canister sold her the whole thing in in the end she probably spent less money than she had anticipated because we had done some research on some other vacuum cleaners but he knew his product inside and out backwards and forwards and it turns out that we had a problem with this 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 vacuum and this is the example the 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 story is i and i went down to to have this little uh, thing fixed and this is when he met me at the car Right, because he saw me taking the vacuum cleaner out of the car, he ran out to the curb with the part and said to me, "Look, this is this is exactly what happened. I bet you have a, a cleaning service." I said, "Yes, we do." He said, "They always put it on backwards, <laughs> right? <laughs> they always put they always put this little the, and it's a, it was a little rubber strip that I guess turns the turns the uh, the, the the motor that that turns the sweeper, right?" He says, right. "They always put they put it on backwards." <laughs> So here's what I want you to do. Here's the free one. That's what they did. But I want you to promise me that that when you come in to 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 buy these ahead of time, he says you got to replace it every six months. That you'll replace it. That way, your cleaners cleaning service won't do it because they're going to put it on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. Ed. You know, it, it reminds me of a story that Stanley Marcus told. We've talked about Stanley Marcus before. Yeah. One of the sons of the founders of Neiman Marcus. And he talks about a, a, a salesman in a, in a jewelry store who's an expert on diamonds and is, is walking this couple through this, the diamond purchase and all of this. And he's giving them all the technical specifications, but they don't buy. And when they came back, they encountered the owner of the store. And he was talking about oh, how this is going to look and the beauty of it and all. He was very passionate about it. And they said, well, we were in here last week and we talked to so-and-so. And and the owner said, "Yes, he he knows diamonds. I love them." <laughs> wow! And 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 Stanley Marcus said, "You know what? Despite conventional wisdom, people love to be sold. If mm-hmm. the salesman is passionate about what they're selling, mm-hmm. and you know what? I think he's got a great point." Right, and and that goes that goes back to the why stuff, right? The Simon Sinek. If you if you are passionate, if you really have a, a a why, a reason for what you're what you're doing, it, that's going to show through, and it, and it's not something you can fake. Right, and and I guess as as we talk about all these different examples of decommoditizing, you know, like candles and lettuce and all this. I mean, obviously, bottled water is probably so obvious that it doesn't need to be mentioned. Uh, but you know, it does kind of explain Evian is naive spelt backwards. <laughs> just, just just throw that out. But one of my favorite examples of this is uh, Charles Revson, and there's a story in the book Fire and Ice, which is his unauthorized biography. Um, and and folks, I, I think it's one of the best business books ever written. And so we'll post it up on our show notes. But he's in a meeting, Ed, with his marketing managers, and he's looking at this glass on the table and he and he goes into the soliloquy and he picks up the glass and he says he picked it up held it out in front of him and said in his friendliest way hello glass 
What makes you different? You're not crystal. You're a plain glass. You're not empty. You're not full. And then he began telling the glass how it could be made special by changing the design, changing the color of the water, giving it a stem. I mean, he went on and on about this just normal water glass. And here was a guy who was an absolute genius at differentiating basically a concoction of chemicals, you know, makeup, whether it was lipstick, nail polish, whatever, and certainly didn't have the attitude that this stuff was a commodity. No. What's his line about lipstick? When it cross it, uh, it, in, in, in the factory, it's a tube of lipstick, but when it crosses the department store counter, it's hope. Love that. I, I do too. So folks, uh, in the, uh, we're going to take a break here and we want to remind you to contact Ed or myself. You can email us at TSOE at Verisage.com and you can also get our show notes and we will post the books we've been mentioning at Verisage.com slash TSOE. But now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Tune in every week for the Ellis Martin Report. Our program will bring you the news and information that you need each week. We look at publicly traded small and mid-cap companies from a variety of sectors. We'll talk to key people in the industry to bring you the foreground and background of new and -and up-and-comers for potential investment. Please remember, invest only at your own risk. The Ellis Martin Report is meant for informational purposes only. Tune in every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Kless. To find out more about our show, visit Verisage.com. You may also tweet us at Verisage. That's V-E-R-A-S-A-G-E. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back to The Soul of Enterprise. I'm Ed Kless, and with me, of course, is my friend and cohort, Ron Baker. Ron, you were telling a story earlier about one of our colleagues at the Verisage Institute, Dan Morris, genius, genius guy. Uh, and he was speaking to a bunch of funeral directors at who were, who were, were complaining that buying a casket has become a commodity. And I, and I think uh, that industry, by the way, is is ripe for for this because they, they've got so much protectionism uh, in a lot of different states. But what was his solution to their problem? Yeah, he, he this was this was when he told me this story, I just laughed so hard because you can just imagine Dan doing this, right? I guess he keynoted the start and end of this conference, and he was there over a couple of days, so he went to a lot of different sessions, and he kept hearing not only is the casket becoming a commodity, but the funeral itself. 
is becoming a commodity. The whole, and this kind of runs counter to, to the experience economy. So at the ending keynote, he, he was telling them, he said, you know, you, you guys, I kept hearing you're a commodity, you're a commodity. And he paused very dramatically and he said, what would happen if Disney entered the funeral business? <laughs> and he said, you could hear a pin drop in that room. The whole crowd just got deadly quiet, to, to borrow a pun. Uh, and, and it is a brilliant question. Mm, because mm. just look what Disney has done in the wedding business. Right. Right? I, one of our uh, mutual acquaintances from uh, a big four accounting firm that you know, a guy named Brent, who hopefully will come on the show one day. His, his wife is a big Disney fan. He had a Disney wedding. And it is no inexpensive thing because they really do make it an incredible, you know, and memorable experience. So that is a great starting question to ask yourself. What would happen if Disney entered your industry? Would they mm. view it as a commodity and how would they change the experience? Well, to follow up on the pun, I, I guess for the funeral, they would be dying to get in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> my, my other favorite strategy to, to propose to business people who love to, you know, say that they're a commodity is to ask them the Richard Branson question. When Richard Branson, before he decides to invest in a new line of business, he makes his, his team come to him with 10 things you never hear about the industry. So when, when he got into Virgin Airlines, for example, he would ask, what were the 10 things that you hear you, did, you don't hear about airlines? Airlines. The, the food's great. I feel refreshed <laughs> when after a you know, cross-Atlantic crossing or whatever. Uh, I, getting to the airport is fun. You know, these types of things. And he did change those experiences, right? If you fly first class or business class, I think they'll still pick you up. Mm -hmm. In a town car, they'll give you a massage on the plane. He hired five-star, you know, four-star, five-star chefs to prepare his meals. And you eat when you want. And, of course, he, I think he's the one that came up with the showers at your destination. So you could re feel refreshed at, when you landed after a you know, transatlantic crossing or something. And so uh, he, he does try and, you know, make the, the experience much better. I remember uh, one of the ways he talked about this, these 10 things, was one of his team members at Virgin was planning a wedding and she was so frustrated that it, it was such a pain because, you know, you had to contact the florist and the venue and all this stuff. She goes, why can't there just be a one-stop shop? So she went to Richard with the idea of what I think is the greatest all-time name, Virgin Bride. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it, it failed. It failed. Uh -huh. But he did make her think about you know, what are the things that we should do? Uh, what are the things you never hear about planning a wedding? And they did try and do that. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. But I do think it was a, it was a worthwhile experiment and, and a great name. Well, yeah, it is a great name. But, but just that is a great question. And as, as always, it's, it's, not, it, it's when we begin to ask different questions that, that these experiences start to come out. Because I think part of the trouble with many businesses is that rather than ask that Richard Branson question, they – they they t tend to focus too much on their previous beliefs and what they believe about an industry, and uh, are, are and that as a result they can't come up with a differentiation in a lot of cases because 
the, we have these consultants come, who come in and say, well, you need to benchmark against your competition. Ugh. Right? I mean, yes. talk about the anti the anti drug to 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 differentiation. Yeah, it, that it's called differentiation. But, <laughs> I, you know, benchmarking. It, it, you know, to the extent that you do benchmarking, please, please do it outside of your industry, because there it can shed some light. I mean, Henry Ford, you know, uh, supposedly came up with the idea for the assembly line by looking at meatpacking plants, mm-hmm. right? which has nothing to do with building cars, but that's where he got the idea for the assembly line. And, and so if you're going to benchmark, benchmark outside of your industry and don't benchmark mediocrity. You know, right. I, and I think all we do when we benchmark our competitors is we're staring at each other's navel. We're navel gazing and we're all bathing in the same dirty bathwater. Uh, just so down on benchmarking and best practices. I mean, like Jules Goddard said, uh, was it Ed last week? It's probably one of the worst ideas that business schools have come out with in twenty years. Right, this idea of benchmarking, and the, you know, the reality is, is especially with with service. Anytime we 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 talk about service, people want to say, "Well, we're, we're going to differentiate on our customer service." That that makes me pause immediately because what I try to t- then explain to them is, "Hey, listen, if you're going to do that." You can't benchmark against other providers in your industry because they all are terrible. Yes. Right? You, what you, if you really want to do be a service leader, then you have to benchmark yourself against world-class service. You have to benchmark yourself against FedEx, against Disney. That's, that's the place that you – or the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Right. Those are the world-class service experiences that you've got to benchmark against. And usually what folks say, well, I can't afford that. Well, why is it always afford? <laughs> right? well, the, the things that they do are not necessarily expensive. I mean, you know, D- Disney is not well, – is known for high prices, but they're not known for paying a lot to their cast members. Uh, same thing with Southwest Airlines. That You're not going to be the best paid flight attendant or – or or captain airline captain working for Southwest, and and Ed go back to the Walter taxi cab story. The little things that he did to differentiate, you know, the fruit basket and the newspapers and the music. I mean, outside of the phone, these were very very low cost items that made an enormous impression. You know, Stanley Marcus said, when it comes to customer service, it's the small things that matter. Yeah, it's not. Well, it's not the expensive things. It's the small things, how they're treated and how they feel about being mm-hmm. tra- how they're treated. Here's the one in the, in, in the taxi industry, and I can always tell if I'm going to have a good experience on my Uber when the following, because this has just started happening in the last month or so. They will have a, they'll, they'll have a, a cell phone charger in the back with me, for, and they, they usually have the iPhone one laid out. But the, but all of these the, the, these others they'll, they'll say hey listen do you need a different charger and they'll have the charger ready for my phone. You know all I can think about is the South Park episode where they took on the whole Uber issue and when the taxi cabs were having their protest meeting about Uber what they called handy car I think and mm-hmm. said well what are we going to do about this and and one guy said well why don't we just treat our customers better and give them better service. <laughs> Wait, wait, no, we can't do that. <laughs> we can't do that. <laughs> and, you well, know, Jules, Jules brought up a Harvard Business Review article last week about, you know, the, the two rules, better before cheaper and revenue before costs. And the whole point is to be different, right? Like Jerry Garcia, the Grateful Dead said, he said, you don't 
you, you do not merely want to be considered the best of the best. You want to be considered the only one who does what you do. Absolutely. And I'll tell you this, Ron, we, we have successfully differentiated ourselves today. Um, and the way that we have done that is, is in that we did not talk about Apple. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a first. <laughs> we did not talk about Apple when we were talking about decommoditization, which I think we should congratulate ourselves for because that is pretty difficult to do. Uh, especially if you're talking about design. Right? Yes. We successfully mean, navigated the waters around using Apple as an example of decommoditization. So, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, Ed, I, I mean, this you know how passionate I feel about this whole topic, and it's just great to, to finally explore it a bit and, and give some of these examples and some strategies. And, folks, we really do hope that you understand the world r- runs on value and differentiation and marketing and anything is differentiable, anything. So put some thought into it because it, 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 it's well worth it. Absolutely. Well, hey, next week, Ron, we got some really fun stuff. We're going to do our first show that we're going to talk about current events. We're calling it uh, Free Rider Friday, and it's going to be the last show the last show of every month. So next, next week will be the 30th of January. So we're just going to do current topics. And what we would really like is for those of you to send some stuff in. So please send TSOE at Verisage.com if you've got a, a, some, a topic that you want Ron and I to discuss or a, a hashtag T, ask TSOE as well. So we'd love to hear from you on that. I'm looking forward to that, Ed. That'll be great fun and I won't have to prep for it. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> That's why it's free freeloader. I mean free rider Friday. All right, we'll see. I'll see you in 167 hours, Ron. All right, thanks, Ed. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage. Supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.verisage.com slash T-S-O-E.